Sometimes you gotta ask yourself, what is it about the other side that you need to know? What is it that they're actually saying? And in the case of Robert F. Kennedy Jr., what we hear about is that man is strong on COVID. You gotta know the total man. You gotta understand the COVID position and how it relates to other positions. Guys, welcome to the show. Good to be with you. Robert F. Kennedy Jr. uh, right there. Let's start with the, the basics. You're challenging the sitting president of the United States for the nomination. That's not an everyday thing. Why are you doing it? I just became convinced that our country is on a bad track and my political party has kind of gone off the rails. Our party, uh, the Democratic Party, has become a party of war, party of censorship, uh, the party of fear, the party of uh, the neocons, you know, crafting our foreign policy and Wall Street big shots crafting our domestic uh, policies. And it's, I don't think it's good for our country. And I think we've uh, we've abandoned a lot of the principles that, you know, listen, I, I, want, I have seven kids. I want my kids to grow up the way that I did, proud to be an American. I want America to be wielding moral authority around the world, people around the world want American leadership, they don't want bullying and they know the difference. And, I, you know, I think we should go back to uh, uh, the role that we used to play. What? How would you describe that? What is the role we used to play well, that I, we no longer I, play? I mean, I think we, in foreign policy, I think we, you know, um, when you know, when I was a kid, when I was six years old, I was, I attended my uncle's inauguration three days before on my birthday, Dwight Eisenhower, who was the outgoing president, gave the most, probably what is today should be regarded as the most important speech in American history, where he warned Americans against the rise, the emergence of a military industrial complex that would turn America into an imperium abroad and a surveillance state at home, that it would corrode and erode and overwhelm our democracy. My uncle came in, immediately was faced with that cabal, Two months into office, they lied to him and talked him into the pigs invasion. And in the middle of that, he came out of his office and he said, I want to shatter the CIA into a thousand pieces and scatter it to the wind. And he became, he realized at that point that the intelligence apparatus and the military, you know, at that point, the Joint Chiefs, um, that the function and particularly of the intelligence agencies was to provide America with a constant pipeline of new wars to feed the military industrial complex. And um, and he spent the thousand days that he was in office at odds with the, with the military brass and the intelligence agencies. He fired the top three people at CIA and tried to replace them with people who are more interested in America's national security and the moral authority of our country. But the, uh, the agency maintained its its culture. And today, you know, we've spent since uh, since 2001, since the Iraq war, we've spent eight point one trillion dollars on foreign wars that have done nothing good for the United States. I don't I don't disagree. Uh, and for a lot of people who are unfamiliar with their politics, they're going to say a guy who wants to stay out of foreign wars. That sounds very much like President Trump. That's what they're going to say. A guy, we didn't do this. We didn't do that. President Trump says that often. But going back to President Biden quickly, 
How do you, what is the strategy to beat President Biden in a primary, considering that the Democratic Party has stated that no debates. We heard this from Simone Sanders on MSNBC not too, not too long ago. No debates, so no chance for you to sh- engage in this conversation. So what do you think the the move point, the pivot point is for Democrats? Well, what are you asking? Are you asking what is my path to victory? Correct. Well, I would I think that there, you know, it's unfortunate that the president is not going to debate. I think it You know, this is a time in our nation's history when so many people are feeling like the system is rigged against them and the electoral system is also rigged. And the Democratic Party ought to be at the spear tip of convincing Americans that of of creating an election that's a template for democracy, where there's retail politics, real debate. And that we're not like the Soviet Union, where the party picks the, you know, picks the candidates. (laughs) Um, But... I still think that there are ways around that. I mean, I've spent many years, almost 18 years, being censored by the mainstream media. And particularly the last three years, a blanket sort of wall-to-wall censorship. But we figured out ways uh, around that. We've figured out ways to communicate with people that are not dependent on the mainstream media. And, and some of that is, you know, my when my uncle ran Tony in 1960, Television was a new invention, and he understood that it was going to uh, it was going to decide the presidential elections. And he took advantage of that. And I think in, in 2016, uh, Twitter served kind of the same, you know, played a critical role in that election. Uh, Twitter is continues to do that today. The 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 ways to connect to people certainly do matter. And of course, being in this business and being in, on the side of the aisle that I'm, I'm at, paying attention to how text does silence people has been a big story. And watching Elon Musk free uh, at least Twitter in that regard has been unbelievably helpful. And we see mainstream media be very angry uh, about it. You have gotten a lot of media coverage, sir, talking to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., candidate for president uh, on the Democratic side. Because of your take on COVID, on COVID vaccines, and due to that take, some people view you as a conservative-minded person. Politically, that's that's not the totality of your politics. You're very, very strong on the idea of climate change not only being real, but something we have to be uh, aggressive uh, uh, about. You have made a series of statements on that. Politically, you you do remain well within that Democratic, if I could say, progressive party, not not the conservative side. But you feel definitely silenced over that your your feelings and your takes on covid. Yeah, on the climate issue, you know, I have a different take than a lot of other environmentalists. And it's been consistent over many years, which is to focus uh, because, you know, frankly, um, what I found over my many years, 40 years as an environmental advocate, that Republicans and Democrats are all environmentalists at some level. People care about, they don't want their kids to be poisoned by toxics. They want to preserve sacred places. People want to go to places to hunt, to fish, to enjoy to, to enjoy the outdoors. They want to preserve our Purple Mountains majesty. And so I focused on those issues rather than climate. I mean, if you, you know, I believe that climate change is real and that it's a crisis, but I don't insist that you believe in that, you know, and I understand why a lot of people don't. 
because it's it's lines on graphs, it's studies, and, and nobody really has the capacity to, to read or assess. And so I'm not going to insist that people believe in that. There are plenty of reasons to end our addiction to oil and coal that have nothing to do with climate, that have to do with national security, that have to do with making our children healthy, that have to do with preserving sacred places. You know, we're cutting down the Appalachian Mountains. 500 biggest peaks on the Appalachian Mountains have been leveled. Um, we have we filled 2,200 miles of streams in eastern Kentucky, West Virginia. Nobody wants that. Uh, the waters are poisoned in those states. Um, we've poisoned every freshwater fish in North America with mercury. Uh, the And that's coming from coal-burning power plants. The acid rain from those plants has uh, has deforested the high peaks of the Appalachian from Georgia and northern Quebec and has sterilized those lakes. And, you know, and on and on, there's half a trillion dollars of healthcare costs in this country, pulmonary, respiratory, uh, 60,000 deaths, millions and millions of asthma attacks that come from ozone in particulate. So there are better ways to, uh, to, to fuel our economy and more efficient ways and cheaper ways. And what I say is that we should um, we should rely on free markets. We should end the subsidies to carbon and to everybody else, and that we should let the markets describe, decide. So I, I think that's a little bit different than maybe where you were uh, in in the past with with some of the the climate conversation. Uh, but certainly, um, do you, do you see yourself as a free market guy? And and I mean, I know that you brought just brought on former Congressman Dennis Kucinich. Uh, to run the campaign as your campaign manager. And when we go back to the days of, of the Obamacare conversations and things like that, he was to the left of Barack Obama. So, you know, uh, the, that choice of campaign manager is is a discussion of uh, politics and beliefs. I just want to make sure we understand where you are. Do you feel that that your beliefs have changed or do you believe that you're still a Democrat in the in the vein of Democrats, whether we're talking about uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan or, or someone like like that, and and that it is the party that has gone further left than you would be okay with. I am a Kennedy Democrat. I'm a traditional Kennedy Democrat. I don't think my general views have changed, you know, at all about. Uh, you know, about specific things, they change. If I see facts that are different, I'm going to change my opinion. But, you know, my views, my sympathies, my general philosophy and approach to politics is the same as uh, it, it's been consistent my whole life. I've always believed in the free market. And I've always said for 40 years, you can go back and look at my speeches from the 1980s. And I was saying the most important thing that we can do for the environment is to have real free market capitalism, which we do not have in this country. We have corporate crony capitalism. And a, tr a true free market would uh, is the enemy. Uh, it, a true free market would, would give us efficiency. And efficiency is the elimination of waste. And pollution is waste. And a true free, mar a true free market would require us to properly value our natural resources. And it's the undervaluation of those resources that causes us to use them wisely. And in a true free market, you can't make yourself rich without making your neighbors rich and without enriching your community. But what polluters do is they make themselves rich by making everybody else poor. You show me a polluter, I'll show you a subsidy. I'll show you a fat cat. 
using political clout to escape the discipline of the free market and force the public to pay his production costs. If we're going to stick in this climate conversation, sir, talking to Robert F. Kennedy Jr., candidate for president on the Democratic ticket, give me a conversation about climate, about the environment, where you differ from Joe Biden, because if we were to talk about Green New Deal, you're somebody who has supported that concept, the concept of the Green New Deal. That seems to be now part and parcel of where the Democratic Party is today. Give me something concrete that is different than where Joe Biden is right now. Well, my approach is different. My approach, as I say, is a market-based approach. Right now, it costs about $3.2 billion to build a gigawatt, a one-gigawatt coal plant. It costs a, uh, to build a solar plant costs $1 billion. And then it's free energy forever. And the problem is the blockade to uh, to coal to to more efficient energy sources, variable and you know and renewable energy sources is, is mainly uh, the grid. Is we do not have a grid that can get those those electrons to market. So almost every farmer in North Dakota wants to put wind turbines in, on his property because a a cornfield without a wind turbine is worth about $800 with a wind turbine it's worth 3000 or $3200 so everybody wants to do it the problem and and there's huge amounts of capital are waiting around the borders of North Dakota which is the windiest place in North America and one of the windiest in the world outside of Antarctica everybody wants to finance that the problem is you can't get those electrons to market and we need to build out the grid system and create a marketplace that turns every American into an energy entrepreneur, every home into a power plant. I I don't like that. I do not like the top-down approach to environmental um, uh, to the to, to uh, climate. And I really turned against that during the COVID crisis because I saw how that crisis was manipulated. Mm-hmm. I Davos Billionaires Boys Club and Bill Gates and others use that crisis a pretext for clamping down totalitarian controls. And I see that the same thing is happening with climate, that it is being misused. It's a real crisis, but it is being misused by uh, by the same cabal. Is, is, is that the representative Ocasio-Cortez's? Is that the Senator Dick Durbin's? Who is well, that? I, I think those people are just, are you know, are uh, some of the things that they're doing are part of an agenda by people who are probably much more, I would regard as much more powerful than them. people in the, um, you know, the, as I say, the kind of World Economic Forum, the intelligence agencies, people who are, um, who are more interested in control than they are in actually preserving the, you know, you know, the, the uh, infrastructure of our ecosystems. There are a series of questions that I want to ask you, but I, I, I promise to keep the time and to keep you on schedule. So we're going to have to have you back. That's got to happen because we, I want to dig in more. But I, I must ask uh, Governor Ron DeSantis, uh, he uh, announced yesterday, let's say you get the nomination. The Democratic Party says they, they want uh, four more years of Kennedy. Uh, in 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 the White House, uh, who would you rather face, Donald Trump or Ron DeSantis? I think, uh, I mean, my the poll numbers that I have right now um, show me doing much better against Ron DeSantis. Um, so I, you know, I guess from a strategic point of view, that it would be better for me to face him. Uh, but I do well against both of them. So 
I'm, I'm, uh, and this I'm, campaign I'm, is, you know, I, I mean, the thing is with Donald Trump, I'm in a very good position to hold him responsible for something that nobody else is holding him responsible for, which is the lockdowns. Lockdowns were the biggest economic catastrophe in American history, and they were Donald Trump's lockdowns. It cost our country $16 trillion. They engineered a $4 trillion shift in wealth from the middle class in this country to the super rich. He closed down 3.3 million businesses and, you know, shifted all of that wealth to Amazon and, you know, to the people who were then collaborating with the White House to censor people like me who were criticizing the lockdowns. And it was a war on the poor and the war on the middle class in this country in every way. And, you know, I would love to have a debate in front of the American people about that with, you know, with uh, President Trump. Robert F. Kennedy Jr., thank you so much for being here. More is coming up. I'm Tony Katz.